0: from KQED.
1: We're joined now by New York Times correspondent Rukmini Kalamaki. Kalamaki has uncovered details about the story of Brianna Taylor, the young woman in Kentucky who was killed by police during a drug raid on her home in March. Using interviews, documents, and recordings, Kalamaki pieces together how Taylor ended up in the middle of a drug raid and how officers mishandled it. One of the three officers involved in the killing of Taylor has been fired, and none have been arrested months after her death, as calls for justice continue in the streets and on social media. Rukmini Kalamaki, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: You know, there were some really key and important details that I learned from your piece in the New York Times, which is titled Breonna Taylor's Life is Changing. Then the police came to her door. One of the first things that that jumped out at me was on the night of the raid, the officers staking out Breonna Taylor's apartment missed several critical things. For one, that her boyfriend was with her in her home that night. Can you talk about about what happened there?
0: Yes. So uh, the officers who were staking out her apartment had a briefing a couple of hours later where they were told that she was home alone, that she had no children of her own, no pets, uh, and that there would not be anybody else on the premises. That was wrong. And that, uh, that misinformation essentially led to a cascade of events that eventually culminated in her death. That night, uh, Brianna Taylor came home from having had a date night with her boyfriend, Kenny Walker. Um, if they had been at her house just one hour earlier, we're told that the police was there at 10 p.m. If they had been there just at nine, nine o'clock, one hour earlier, they would have seen her coming home with her boyfriend. They might've run the plates on her boyfriend's car and seen that he's a licensed gun owner. Um, and that might've changed the way that they, that they carried out the raid. Uh, instead, uh, they went into her house thinking that she was an unarmed woman home alone. Um, they didn't properly announce themselves. And as a result, Brianna Taylor's boyfriend thought that somebody was breaking in and he grabbed his gun, which he was licensed uh, to own uh, and fired at the police, which, which then set off uh, a torrent uh, of gunfire that led to her death.
1: You mentioned that uh, they didn't announce themselves properly. There's been some controversy around this. Can you describe what you've learned
0: Sure. So what what they did that night uh, was called a knock and announce uh, a search warrant. And it's just like you, just like it sounds. You're supposed to knock, and you're supposed to announce yourself as police. We interviewed um, uh, a former SWAT uh, team instructor, David James. He's now actually the, the the president of city council in Louisville, Kentucky, and he he was actually involved uh, in a previous career as as a police officer. Uh, he had he had been a trainer at the Kentucky Police Academy. He had trained some of the very officers who went in that night, and he explained to me that when you're doing what's called the dynamic Entry, which is bursting into somebody's ho- uh, home in the middle of the night, it's extremely important to announce yourself very loudly and very consistently before. Specifically, because if you're if you're breaking down somebody's door in the middle of the night and you don't announce yourself, then the people inside can think that you're an intruder, that you're that you're a robber coming in. Kentucky is a stand your ground state. That means that uh, a homeowner. A resident inside their own home is allowed to use deadly force against an intruder if they believe that that person. Um, Is coming in with with ill will and that's exactly what happened. They didn't properly announce themselves Um, We were able to find just one neighbor who heard them say police and he heard it only once We were told by by David James who had trained some of these men that you're supposed to say police police Search warrant at the top of your lungs loudly enough that that the entire neighborhood should have been able to hear it Um, and that did not happen
1: and I mean why would they even be doing a no-knock warrant, trying to break down a door? I mean, you talk about the, quote, evidence they had against Taylor, uh, and that, in your view, it was pretty thin. Mm. So, um,
0: Brianna Taylor uh, was linked to uh, a man named Jamarcus Glover. He had been her on again off again boyfriend for uh, for the past four years since 2016. And the, the the search warrant that was sought for her apartment was part of a larger investigation into a criminal syndicate run by the sex boyfriend. Um, they were hitting five houses that night, and they were hoping to find drugs or else the proceeds of drugs, so cash, etc., stored at uh, these houses. Um, they ended up doing three no-knock uh, uh, searches uh, right before her house, which went fine. Those were at the actual drug houses that were operated by this man. And then everything went wrong. At her house, where they actually did not do a no-knock uh, warrant, they did—they did, they did a, a knock and announce. Meaning, they're supposed to knock and announce, but as we discussed, they didn't properly announce
1: and there was so once her boyfriend uh, fired a single shot thinking that it was an intruder at the door and this is very clear that he had no idea it was the police when he called 911 and told them that yes. he didn't know what was happening someone kicked in the door and shot my girlfriend is what he said and this was yes. a recorded call like minutes after that had happened you talk yes. about the actions uh that are believed to be a result of a detective named Hankison. Can you talk about yes. what Hankison did? Yes, so there were three
0: officers that night who discharged their weapons. Uh, the first two were were the people who were directly at the door, uh, who were banging on the door and who burst into uh, to her apartment they returned fire directly in the direction of, um, of of Breonna Taylor and her boyfriend after being shot at. Uh, Brett Hankinson was a detective who was in the same uh, lineup, in the same breezeway as those two, but for reasons that remain unclear, he left that formation, he ran out into the parking lot. Her, her apartment was on the ground floor of this apartment complex. He ran into the parking lot and he was standing um, uh, on, basically on the side of the street and he began firing blindly into her patio door and into her window of her apartment, both of which were covered with a blind, um, discharging at least 10 rounds uh, from, from 30, 40 feet away without any clear line of sight. Um, those bullets went not just through Brianna Taylor's apartment, they went clear all the way through the wall to the apartment behind uh, where a pregnant woman and her five-year-old child uh, were sleeping. Um, so that that action uh, has been described as, as reckless and as a violation of the police's own protocols, because you are supposed to have a direct line of sight when, when you use lethal force, which he did not. And that's why that officer has been fired. He's the one that I believe is the most likely to be charged of the three. Um, but it's also quite likely that the two who are in the doorway who were returning fire after have been, having been shot at and who did have a line of sight may not be charged because their, their actions uh, can be seen as being actions in self-defense.
1: Well, certainly we know that the protests have called for criminally charging actually all three officers in the case. But can you give us the status of this, like what the investigations are? I know you tried to get answers um, from the local police department as well as the attorney general's office. I mean, what what's going on with these investigations?
0: Sure. So there are three parallel investigations that are going on. One is by the police's own integrity unit. So that's the police investigating the police. Um, that's many considered that to be the least credible because it's an internal uh, affair, and um, and people believe that the police are not going to be objective about their own officers. Um, the second level is an investigation by the state's attorney general. And what has been holding up that investigation was that the bullets and the the and the shell casings. For From the crime were taken to the FBI's lab at Quantico in Virginia and were being processed there Um, the same day that my story ran which by the way was a Sunday um, the state attorney general um, surprised everybody and went on national TV to announce that finally the lab results were in the forensic analysis of these bullets which is key because that forensic analysis is going to show you which of the three officers whose ballistics actually killed her um, and that's relevant uh, to whether you can pursue murder charges or not. Mm-hmm. Um, he announced, so my story ran almost exactly a week ago. Um, and that same day the the, the attorney general announced that the, the results are in, and that they are they are going to to announce their charges at some point in the near future. Um, what I've been told by sources in Louisville is that they wanted to get to a Kentucky Derby, which was this Saturday. Um, they were afraid that whatever protests might ensue would have disrupted uh, that that important event uh, in Kentucky. And now I'm being told that they're going to wait uh, until most likely next week or the week after. Why? Because uh, the, the charges have to go before a grand jury. The grand jury was seated uh, the first of the month, and they don't want basically the first big case to come before this brand new grand jury to be this this incredibly important case. So that's what we're hearing. Next week, or perhaps the week after, is when the AG is going to announce um, his results. And then the final investigation is the FBI. Um, they're doing uh, an investigation through the Department of Justice, and there's no timeline yet of when those results will begin.
1: We're talking with Rukmini Kalamaki, a correspondent for the New York Times. She wrote, the recent story, Brianna Taylor's life was changing, then the police came to her door. We're talking about new details around the police r- drug raid on her home in March of this year that killed Brianna Taylor, a 26-year-old emergency medical technician in Louisville. What are your reactions to what you're hearing? What questions do you have about Brianna Taylor's story? Give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook, we're at KQED Forum, or email your questions to forum at org. One last thing that I wanted to talk about related to this mm-hmm. raid was yes. the fact that they did not have an ambulance stationed. Can you talk yes. about the significance of that?
0: Yes. So the the, the police um, has been very uh, reluctant to share any information at all. But the one little detail that I was able to get them to confirm is that it is their common practice to always have an ambulance staged when they're doing a high risk raid. Um, and any raid that is in the middle of the night where you're punching in somebody's door is considered high risk. What is very puzzling is um, the raid on Brianna Taylor's home begins at 1240 a.m. on March 13th. Basically, a, a little over an hour before that, at around 11.17 p.m., I see in the call logs from the emergency uh, personnel, which I was able to obtain, you see that there's an ambulance that was staged at her address. But, but not even 20 minutes later, at around 11.40 p.m., the same log says that the EMS has been canceled, emergency services have been canceled, and the ambulance leaves her location. We don't know why. I have not been able to get the police to answer this crucial question: why did they cancel the the ambulance at her at her home an hour before the raid, and that that action um, impacted. Not just Breonna Taylor's life, but it also impacted uh, their their own officer who was shot in the femoral artery by by Breonna Taylor's boyfriend. Uh, that's the big artery in your leg. It's a very dangerous wound. Um, you know, when I, I, I I've covered ISIS and, and Al Qaeda for years before this, and this is one of the wounds that they teach you about when you're doing uh, training uh, ahead of uh, ahead of covering a conflict zone. Uh, this is something very dangerous that, that can cause you to bleed out in minutes. Um, and you see in the statement of the officers who was wounded that he comes stumbling out of her apartment. He collapses in the parking lot and uh, everybody is saying, where is EMS? Where is EMS? They're calling repeatedly get EMS here, get the ambulance here. The ambulance ends up rushing back to her location. It can't find the proper way to enter her apartment complex. It goes to the wrong entrance which is uh, which protecting Protected by a gate, Uh, in the call logs you then see the officer saying, "Smash through the gate! Smash through through the gate!" The ambulance tries to smash through the gate; it can't get all the way through, Um, and they end up taking the injured officer and basically putting him on the trunk of a car because he couldn't bend his leg enough to to get in the back seat. They put him on the trunk of a car where he's holding onto the car with his hands, and drive him to to the ambulance to get him to uh, to safety. So this. This was a decision that remains unexplained and that impacted both brianna taylor and the officer who yes
1: was, because in all those or, critical minutes they're trying to figure out how to help that injured officer they are giving no exactly. help at all to brianna taylor i mean what you describe exactly. is incre- is really incredible and and i i do think it has to ask the question for what right drugs yeah, and yeah. Money to potentially find that in someone's home. Well, Russell tweets. Yes, sorry. Can the guests clarify if a knock and announce or no-knock warrant was used? Until now, the media has reported the latter was used. I'm so glad Russell asked this because, yes, Yes. it was really called like a no-knock warrant. So what happened? Why? Yes. Yes.
0: That's a great question, and I spent a lot of my energy trying to untangle this. So basically, um, there were five search warrants that were signed by a judge the day before, uh, one of which was for Brianna Taylor's apartment, and all of the five were signed as a no-knock warrant, meaning that you can go in, you can literally burst into somebody's house without knocking at all. Right before the raid on her house, they had a, an operational briefing, and we are told uh, by the officer who ends up getting shot that at that operational briefing, they, they decide that the four addresses that are linked to her ex-boyfriend, um, the drug dealer, that those are going to be uh, carried out as no-knocks. But for reasons that are not explained, they decide that at Brianna's house, they're, even though it's approved as a no-knock, they're going to do what's called a knock and announce, which is you knock, you announce yourself as police, you knock again. You announce yourself as police. On and on, and then eventually, if the person doesn't come to the door, then you can break in. Um, and yet again, we don't know why that change occurred. But what 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 experts have told me is that in both of those instances, uh, a no knock and a knock and announce, you announce yourself as police. If you do a no knock, you bust in the door, and as you're busting, as you're entering the house, you start screaming, "Police! Police! Search warrant! Hands up! Search warrant!" If you do a knock and announce, you announce police before you smash down the door. But there's no such thing as a knock and don't announce. <laughs> That's the most dangerous kind of uh, uh, of maneuver that there is, because then you're coming into somebody's house in the middle of the night and you're not saying who you are. And most people would think that that, that, that would be an intruder.
1: Right. And they were in plain clothes, too, right?
0: In plain clothes as well. Yes. Yes.
1: We're talking with Rukmini Kalamaki about the story of Brianna Taylor. And we'd like to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. Again, 866-733-6786 is the number to call, 866-733-6786. You can also reach us on Twitter and Facebook at KQED Forum, or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And Rukmini Kalamaki, I mean, you also learned quite a few details just about who Brianna Taylor was, and I look forward to talking about that, with you after the break, Mini Kalamaki's piece in the New York Times is titled "Brianna Taylor's Life Was Changing." Then the police came to her door. Stay with us for more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the story of Brianna Taylor, the 26-year-old emergency medical technician in Louisville, Kentucky, who was killed by police during a drug raid on her home in March of this year. We're talking with Rukmini Kalamaki, correspondent for The New York Times. And with you, our listeners, let me go to Brian in Richmond. Hi, Brian.
2: I want to thank uh, Ms. Kalamaki for her reporting. Very good. Except that it took a very long time in this interview for her to mention the fact that a policeman was shot in the thigh uh, by Breonna Taylor's boyfriend. And my point is, is that part of this is that, uh, sure, he's a licensed gun owner. The sad part is that you have a state that allows for stand your ground, and so here, all of a sudden, you have him shooting at the police officer, hitting him, and now you have the fog of war situation where the police are shooting back. And this is a, a problem with the nation's gun laws that allows this to happen. As sad as that happened to Miss Brianna Taylor, I feel really bad for what happened. Ultimately, she's a victim of the nation's gun laws, and I would like Kalamaki to to, be, to at least uh Uh, um, have some kind of response to what I've said.
1: Yes, Rukmi, you have also written about just how the stand-your-ground laws and also the the statute that protects police officers clashed in this case.
0: Yes, I mean, it's a a tragic uh, instance where two statutes that provide two different types of rights essentially collided with each other in the hallway of Brianna Taylor's home um, as the listener uh, correctly pointed out um, there there is a stand- your ground statute in Kentucky and actually in a lot of other states which allows a resident inside their own home to to use deadly force if they believe that an intruder is coming through the door this is a law that actually uh, is not uh, is is uh, has been codified in in state statute but it goes all the way back to what's known as the castle Doctrine in English common law, all the way back to to England, um, and it protected subjects of the king from unreasonable searches of their home. At the same time, you have a statute in Kentucky and in many other states that allows a police officer to use deadly force in self-defense. So the police are coming in with a legal search warrant. Uh, They enter her house. We uh, We can discuss the fact that they didn't properly announce, but they did have legal right to be there. Uh, Kenny Walker does not realize that they're police. He shoots at them. He is allowed to do so under under the Your grant statute, but the two officers at the door who turned fire most likely are also covered under the Kentucky statute that allows them in turn to fire back in self-defense. That's why the third officer, this is the one who, after Breonna Taylor has already most likely been shot, he runs out onto the street and he peppers her apartment from outside the apartment uh, with at least 10 rounds. That's why his actions have really come under a lot of scrutiny, because there is, to my knowledge, no statute that protects her.
1: Well, Nancy writes, excellent, riveting reporting. Many thanks. Rukmini Kalamaki, I mean, at the time that she was killed, Brianna Taylor, she had big plans, didn't she?
0: Mm, she did. She did. Brianna Taylor. Um, I learned, uh, was a young woman who was dealt a really tough deck uh, in life. She was born to a teenage mom. Her mom was just 16 when she gave birth to her. Uh, And her dad was incarcerated when she was around six years old on drug and murder charges and spent the rest of her life uh, in jail. Um, But early on, what you see in her is a desire to a desire to do better, a desire to, to go beyond um, what, what her limited circumstances might have dictated. She's the first person in her, her family to graduate from high school. She then goes on uh, and spends some time uh, at a local university um, and she ends up working in health in healthcare. She gets her EMT certification and then she's working as an ER tech uh, at a local hospital. Um, you see on her social media profile that for many years she struggled with her finances. She put out tweets about how she couldn't even afford her own groceries. But by 2020, things had turned around for her. She had saved up enough money to buy a brand new car. Uh, she, she was planning to buy herself a house. Uh, and crucially, she had, um, she had committed to Kenny Walker, who by all accounts was a really nice man. And she had left behind an ex-boyfriend that, um, that had been involved in drugs and that had, uh, whose actions had repeatedly uh, essentially entangled her in the police run-ins that he was having.
1: Well, let me go to caller Mike next in Granite Bay. Hi, Mike.
2: I just thought that Brianna Taylor's case could be like a poster child for defunding our disastrous long-term war on drugs.
1: The war on drugs, yes, Rukmini Kalamaki. I mean, Brianna Taylor in many ways has actually become an icon for many things. Can you talk a little bit yes. about the impact that she's had and whether or not it is? causing people to really question the kinds of uh, tactics we use related to drug crimes? Yeah,
0: I think that is one takeaway uh, that certainly uh, my colleague Yoruba Richin has um, has put front and center in the documentary that we made uh, on her case. In the end, this entire tragedy was about drugs, was about, you know, trying to stop uh, the flow of drugs. And and as we've discussed, uh, the search warrant for her house Uh, was a lot thinner uh, than the search warrants for the other locations that were actively involved in drug trafficking. And it begs the question, is it worth taking these enormous risks for a pile of drugs? And I think that the city of Louisville has, has... pretty affirmatively said no, because they have now banned uh, no-knock warrants altogether. Um, The idea being, uh, the whole notion uh, of why you have a no-knock warrant is so that you can have the element of surprise um, to go in and upset a criminal enterprise. Why do you want the element of surprise? Because people uh, can take, if you give warning, people can take the time to try to destroy evidence. What people in, what, what officials have told me in the city of Louisville is that if between the time you knock on somebody's door um, and they come to the door, which what, how long is that gonna be? A Couple minutes, 10 minutes? If in that amount of time you can destroy the evidence of your drug dealing, then perhaps that's not evidence that's that's worth getting. Um you should do a no knock entry if you're if you're going to save a human life, like in a hostage situation or in a in, in in a in a child abuse uh situation. But to do it for drugs just seems like a bit of a of an overreach, which has in this case and others had disastrous consequences.
1: Yes, and you also talked about uh people who are you know experts who are suggesting that this could be the death knell of the no knock Warrant as well, uh, just given these types of circumstances, but that certainly doesn't bring Taylor back. And and she really has captured the imagination. I mean, the hashtag say her name, she's been on the cover of, of Vanity Fair and Vogue and and Oprah Winfrey has also highlighted her in the Oprah magazine. And can you just also talk about the larger structures that Breonna Taylor's death also sort of indicts to some extent, right, in terms of what happens to black women victims um, Mm -hmm. relative to other people who are killed?
0: yeah you know, I spent a lot of time in Louisville digging into the backgrounds of these three officers to see if i could if I could find a, a pattern of racist behavior. And I couldn't find direct evidence of racism on for those three officers. But where I think you have the systemic piece is that we we never hear of this kind of raid and this kind of tragedy happening to a white woman. Um, we don't hear of this happening in middle class or upper middle class uh, households. You know, there, if somebody is uh, accused of uh, of drug trafficking, they go the polite route, you know, which is to get lawyers involved um, and, and do an investigation that way. Um, and so I think for all of those reasons, Breonna Taylor has become an icon and her, her silhouette, which is now everywhere, has become a byword for police violence and for racial injustice.
1: But also even, I mean, relative to the death of George Floyd in May, her death was in March, right? March 13th. Yes. We did not yes. have video footage of this and we frequently don't, right?
0: Yes, yes. And and that's where that's where her case is, is really quite interesting and remarkable. Um, you don't see other cases, I, or at least I'm not aware of them, where somebody's name becomes this well known when there isn't Camera footage uh, available. We've just learned of the case in Rochester, New York, uh, where where an African American man who was mentally unwell uh, was asphyxiated by a hood that was placed over his head. That has come to light because the body camera footage has just come out. Um, the 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 death of uh, of the, uh, the the shooting, excuse me, of the young man in Kenosha. Again, that came to light because there was bystander footage. This seems to be really the only case that i know of um where somebody has gotten this kind of stature without footage and i think that goes to the elements of her of of who she was Um, that she was a young woman who was working in healthcare you know so she there she is bleeding out on the carpet of her own home Um, she has spent the last couple of years of her adult life, treating trauma victims um, as first uh, an EMT and later as uh, a, a, an ER room technician. That's what she did, yet there was no care for her in her final moments. Um, the fact that she was unarmed herself uh, and the fact that the evidence t- tying her to this larger criminal syndicate, there there is some evidence uh, that she was possibly involved as an accessory uh to this criminal uh, syndicate but it's nothing that that substantial that in that's in my opinion and the opinion of many experts that have looked at this um should have warranted such muscular and aggressive police action
1: and it sounds like state and federal officials are actually investigating whether detectives had enough evidence to tie taylor right. to 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 glover uh, let me go to another call sarah in san anselmo join us hi sarah
2: Wondering, on social media, I've read um, some interesting things, and I wonder if you could lend them any credibility or discredit them about the larger context in which she found herself in that there was um, movement in the neighborhood to um, to kind of retake some of the homes or to, um, I guess, there were developers who would benefit mm-hmm. from having those homes uh, turned into drug homes?
1: Uh, yes, yes. Sarah, thanks. And actually, Matt, a listener, writes, what about the allegation that the drug investigation was linked to the city's plan to redevelop that part of Louisville Mm -hmm. by driving out, quote, unwanted people?
0: that's right um that's that's an allegation that was put forward by by the attorney that is representing brianna taylor's um family and on the face of it it looked very shocking oh my god this this area was you know being redeveloped and therefore they wanted to clear these trap houses of drug dealers and the overreach was was related to that i spent a lot of time um digging into this and actually what happened um is is something much more nuanced the city of louisville uh, going back years, had a very strained relationship with the African American community as a result of its aggressive policing. Um, the 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 moment that really crystallized that for the police department was body cam footage that became that became available last year, so in twenty nineteen, that showed a young. African-American teenage boy being pulled over for the offense of making a wide turn. He was his, his, his uh, high school's homecoming king. He was uh, a multiple scholarship winner. He'd never been in any kind of trouble. And in the body cam footage, you see this very aggressive policing where the kid is yanked out of his car. He's put into handcuffs. Police dogs come and search his car. Uh, and what I learned is that when that body cam footage uh, became public in the spring of last year, it happened to coincide with a visit to the department by a woman called Robin Engel, who is a policing expert. She's, she's a consultant that goes around the country giving advice to police forces about how to better police. And the police chief came to her and said, what can we do to be better? What can we do? This is, this is not working. And she pointed the police chief in Louisville to a system of policing that has actually been very positive in the cities of Cincinnati and Las Vegas. And the idea is that instead of doing traffic stops in a large area where you're you're basically just kind of, you know, um, you're, you're just kind of rolling the dice and hoping that on one of these traffic stops, you you catch a drug dealer. Very ineffective. And you're 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 pulling in all sorts of innocent people. The idea is that you go for a micro location. You look at the statistics in your city and you say, which little part of this landmass that is Louisville is contributing the most to violent shootings, to murders, to to drug deals gone bad, etc. And so they ended up instituting an entire squad that was going to do this type of policing. And when they clutched the the statistics, the numbers that came back was that Elliott Avenue, which is where Jamarcus Glover was operating three different trap houses, um, was going to be their microlocation. As it happened, that street, because of the fact that it was such a high crime area and had been blighted for so long, was also the subject of this redevelopment project by the city. I went out to that area and I spoke to residents and I spoke to local community activists, and they debunked this notion that the city... Uh, was was gentrifying it in a negative way. They said we are we we welcome the redevelopment. We've been asking for it. We're happy that it's happening. We hate the drug deals that are happening here. We don't feel safe in our own neighborhood. Uh, and they explained to me that it was not gentrification uh, run amok, but the two things did meet uh, in the raid on Brianna Taylor's home because the gentrification, sorry, the redevelopment project, this micro-based policing um, effort all ended up focusing on Elliott Avenue and by conjunction on her apartment because she had been seen um, on multiple occasions with that drug dealer.
1: When she had been dating him. Let me see if I can get yes. one last call in. omaris in Oakland, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Maurice, are you there? Am I saying your name correctly?
2: Uh, yes, I'm here, omaris from omaris. Oakland. <laughs> thanks. thanks. Um, that's okay. Uh, a lot of different <laughs> pronunciations. <laughs> First of all, yeah. uh, thank you very much for bringing a lot of this uh, hidden information to light. Uh, very good reporting. But what I wanted to know in connection with Brianna Taylor, it, it has been reported or leaked that law enforcement or legal teams on the side of the city was attempting mm-hmm. to um, have her uh, ex boyfriend incriminate her to give justification for doing the no knock warrant in the aftermath. Mm-hmm. Anything that was uncovered in your research and your time on the ground,
1: no Morris, thanks. Sure, sure.
0: Thanks, Amaris. Thank you. Um, there was so her ex boyfriend, um, Jamarcus Glover. Uh, has been in and out of jail since 2008. In 2008, he was convicted to a 17-year sentence in Mississippi uh, for drug trafficking. He served a partial sentence, came out, moved to Kentucky. In 2014, he's convicted again on another drug charge. And from 2016, when he started dating Brianna Taylor, until 2020, roughly a month before her death, when they broke up, um, he was in and out of jail, really perpetually. You know, multiple times, to- sometimes multiple times in the same year. Um, before the raid on Brianna Taylor's home, he was arrested in uh, in december january, december twenty nineteen january twenty twenty. He was arrested again after her death in April. So it's common in these cases for uh, prosecutors to put a plea deal together um, in order to avoid you know, the expense of a jury trial, etc. And one draft plea deal that has now been, been leaked uh, to the press um, showed that the prosecutor was attempting to uh, get Jamarcus Glover to admit that that Brianna Taylor had been part of his criminal enterprise. That plea deal was a draft. It was never actually presented to him. The one that was presented to him later um, and that he didn't take because he became a fugitive. Um, uh, that one only mentions her address. I don't know that I find that that's surprising. The police um, maintain that they had enough evidence to search Brianna Taylor's apartment based on her long-term association with him. They have GPS uh, trackers that they placed in his car showing him going to her apartment multiple times in January. They have surveillance footage of her going to see him. So it doesn't surprise me.
1: Well, Rukmini Kalamaki, thank you so much for your deep reporting on this. And it sounds like it really is just the beginning. I mean, there's still so much information that has not been released.
0: Yes, I think this is the beginning. Thank you so much for having me, man.
1: Rukmini Kalamaki, correspondent for the New York Times. If you want to read her piece, it's titled "Brianna Taylor's Life Was Changing, Then the Police Came to Her Door. Thank you to our listeners for their questions and comments. Thanks to Blanca Torres and Ariana Prell who produced today's segments. I'm Mina Kim. Thank you for listening.
2: Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Generosity Foundation, and the Bernard Osher
0: Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts.